Einstein and Sock Monkey, Episode 3, Zeldman, recorded on September 14th, Welcome to Einstein and Sock Monkey, the podcast for web geeks and website owners. I'm Ron Zazadinsky, one of your co-hosts, and I am with Steve Martin, your other host, and we're uh, excited for our third podcast today. Um, things have been going pretty well, and we've got a lot of good feedback so far from everybody, and um, as we always say, just keep the feedback coming so we can get better and improve things for everybody here. Um, how you been lately, Ron? Um, well, doing better, <laughs> but uh, I had a massive computer tragedy last week, which was I was on a trip to the East Coast, and on the flight, it was a week-long trip, and on the flight from Denver to Newark, my hard drive crashed on my MacBook Pro, so that uh. was really crappy, but, you know, I... <laughs> And, you know, a week-long trip, and obviously I'm dependent on that. And if I had been home, I had a spare laptop, but I was on the road. So that was pretty, pretty rough. And we'll talk about that in the news, and maybe I should just launch into that. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. All right. So it was kind of fun because, I mean, to arrange it all, because uh, to get it fixed, uh, that was a positive experience, actually. So on my layover in Chicago, I was on the phone with Apple, Looked up the on my iPhone four. Looked up the uh, nearest um, Apple store to my dad's house, and there was one like five minutes away. Oh, really? And so I set up a Genius Bar appointment for four p.m. that day. Oh, wow! While I was on my layover in Chicago, and rented a car too because I didn't have a car until I was going to take the train to his house. But I was like, no, I got to get this fixed yeah. today. I was just too stressed out to not get it fixed. So went there. They tested it. Said hard drive's not spinning. And so they had to send it in, but it came back so fast. Um, of course I was gone, but it was Labor Day weekend and they had to FedEx it out then Tuesday morning. They repaired it Wednesday and it was back here in Fort Collins on Thursday. Wow. So that was impressive. Of course I didn't get back till Sunday night. So really you lost everything on your hard drive? Uh, I did. They report, you know, put a new hard drive in, but that was, uh, so I had to restore last night from, uh, my, Time Machine backup because uh-huh. I have been backing everything up, and it took about two hours for Time Machine to restore everything. And amazingly, after just a couple of software updates uh, and two hours of letting it just do its own thing, yeah. it, everything worked except for like my Adobe licenses aren't working. Uh-huh. I'll have to get that sorted out. I suspect they're using like hard drive serial numbers as part of the yeah. DRM. Um, and some of my iTunes music won't play. Like it says, my Audible subscription's not permitted oh, okay. and stuff. So there's a few licensing issues that'll have to work out. Get restored. That's, that's not bad. That is not bad, given such a catastrophic failure. So I love Apple even more. Because it was under warranty or yeah, Apple Care? I had Apple Care. Oh, nice. I had it a year and a half. So thank goodness for Apple Care. Yeah. So it didn't cost me anything dollar-wise to get that done. And, and I was really impressed with the restore capability from Time Machine. I was really dreading that, you know, wondering if that was going to be effective or not. Yeah, I might, my hard drive kind of fritzed out a while back as yeah, well. And right. I, I did not have a time machine backup. I kind of had a bunch of stuff backed, on, backed up on Dropbox, which mm-hmm. totally saved my bacon. It was all my client files would been gone. Um, but every, I just store everything in Dropbox anyway. And then I had a few things backed up on a hard drive, and I was able to hook one Mac to another to my Mac and and use it in terminal mode and get some stuff that way. That's wow. a, real, a real hassle. That sounds like a lot more involved. I mean, that's a, yeah, yeah. But, it was, but I, got, I got everything back. So the one, the one thing I did regret that I haven't done, and I've been thinking about it for months, is getting an online backup system like Carbonite or something, uh-huh. which allows you to access your files remotely too. Right. 
Um, and I wish I had done that because if that time machine backup had not been successful, then I would have been in big trouble. And then I could have accessed those files on the road from somebody else's computer. So as it was, I had no access to that stuff. But I could be without any machine for a week, and I've been wanting an iPad. And so I took your advice, <laughs> Steve, and uh, got an iPad while I was getting the uh, MacBook Pro looked at. Yeah. So I had the interesting experiment of trying to use an iPad as my only computer for a full week. That's a bummer you had to buy an iPad. I'm it was a bummer. Yeah. Such a hardship to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it now, now that I have my MacBook back. Well, use it, as a, co- hands if you let, use it you as a coaster or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I did find, um, you know, I had to use it as a, my only computer. And, um, it was for pretty, a whole week? For a whole week. But I did find that basically two apps made it all work, and a wireless Bluetooth keyboard uh, really, really got me through the whole thing. So the wireless Bluetooth keyboard, totally crucial, because typing on that is just really fast. You know, it's uh-huh. very responsive. And that was great. Plus, you could set the screen at whatever angle that yeah. you want. And then the two apps that really worked. So I, I always do Gmail just through the Safari interface anyway. I do that yeah. on my iPhone, on the laptop, and on now on the iPad. Yeah. So that was fine. Email was good. By the way, that was part of what also saved me is because any file I had ever emailed or received by email, yes. all those attachments were in the cloud. And so I could still yeah. access all of that. Yeah, I use, I use Google Apps for that purpose. Same here. Yeah. I'm never going to lose anything that way. Now, as well, until Google crashes, <laughs> then we're all in trouble. But uh, so the two apps that are I found to be very crucial, um, I did a lot of hunting for an app that would let me create and edit Word and Excel documents, because we do a lot in oh, those. Yeah. And we also do a lot on Google Apps, and so we have tons and tons of Google Docs. So the question was, how do I access those? Because amazingly, amazingly crappy thing is through the Safari web browser, you cannot edit a Google Doc. I heard that, and I was actually surprised. Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons I didn't get an iPad earlier, is that that was like the most important thing to me. It was email on Google Docs. And if right. I couldn't do Google Docs, I'm like, well, what's the point yeah. if I can't edit documents and create documents? But there's an app, an app called Office Squared uh, HD. It's about 15 mm-hmm. bucks, best 15 bucks. Um, it really? does all of that in one app. So you can access all your Google Docs. You can access Google nice. Docs. You can create new Google Docs. You can even create new folders and move Google Docs between folders. Hmm. Um, cool. There are a few downsides. Um, it doesn't do the simultaneous sharing. So, like right right now, we're looking at the you know episode three show notes where we could edit simultaneously. Right. You can't do that kind of collaborative oh, stuff. Okay. When so I edit, it downloads it. Exactly. The one I edit and save, it uploads a new version. So if you're editing, then it doesn't... I don't know if there's an easy way to reconcile those differences. There may not be. That's not too bad. No, it's really not too bad. Um, And there are some quirks, and it's not perfect, like the Excel thing and also editing the Google Docs if it's a spreadsheet. Um, The the arrow keys on the keyboard don't work yet uh, the way you'd expect to move around cells. So you have to tap on the cell. So there's a few funky little things that aren't as efficient as working on a laptop, yeah. but it's, it's at least, um, a manageable fallback if you had to. So office square HD and, and it actually integrates automatically with some other apps. So like if I'm looking at email and I open up a, a document from a Google Gmail email, yeah. a word doc or Excel, it actually asks me if I want to open it in office square HD from the Safari oh, interface. Cool. Yeah. So it'll just pop it right over there. And then I've got my local file store and you can work offline with that too. What's yeah, I, I noticed some, something similar. I, I just upgraded my feeling. It feels like ancient iPhone 3G, <laughs> not even a 3GS, to the uh, iPhone 4. iOS 4.1. How's that working with the new 4.1 Beautifully. software? The 4.0, it killed my iPhone. That's what basically. I heard, is that it really bogged it down. 4.1 is fine. But I noticed in the, in the mail app, it actually, if there's, a, if there's a document, like a PDF, it asked me if I wanted to open it in Stanza, mm. for that, stuff like that. So it's kind of similar, but... So from a usability slash user, user yeah. experience perspective, yeah. how did how did that work with um, being able to actually get stuff done? I mean, it's nice for watching videos and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, I mean, as, as you know, the iPad is really known as a content consumption device, not right. a content creation device. So I would say it's like working with one hand tied behind your back. You're de- definitely slower. I say everything takes would take fifty to one hundred percent longer. You know, really? Yeah. So there's definitely a slower. 
just just because of the having it like the big one is just going back and forth between things. You've got to press the home button. You know, it's not mm-hmm. multitasking yet. That's supposedly coming in November. Right. That would have helped. But is that going to be November before it comes out? That's what I heard. Really? I heard the iOS four upgrade to this is okay, November. That. Yeah, that's only two months away. Yeah. But you know, you have to hit the square button, home button, and then open the other app, and then like Office. HD unfortunately doesn't remember which app you were last in if it's a Google Doc. Oh. It does if it's a local file store. But if you're looking on a Google Doc, then you've mm. got to go to the Google Doc section, reopen that doc. You know, uh, so everything is everything is slower. So I would say it's like it's eighty percent of a good solution. Yeah. Um, and and you can see that it wouldn't be that hard necessarily. I mean, sure, you know, it'd be a lot of programming work, no doubt. But you can see the path needed to to make it a full solution. So I think it really could be in the next year or so if uh, these apps kind of come together. The the other app that then Save really helped a lot uh, was Log Me In because um, I have a desktop machine at home that I have um, I can access remotely, and I use Go to My PC normally to access that. Because um, there are a lot of things you can't do on the iPad that you need a real machine for. Right. And Go to My PC does not have an iPad app yet. It's supposedly coming soon, but it's not there yet. But Log Me In has one. And using their free service on your local PC or Mac, you can use their. How much was that app? I forget. I forget. It might have been. I don't remember. You have to look it up. It wasn't inexpensive. Maybe it was 30 bucks. I think it was 30 bucks, but totally worth it. It works flawlessly. So using log me in, I can log into either my desktop machine at home or now that I'm back home, I got my other laptop, my backup laptop on there. And yeah, I mean, check this out. I'll, I'll demonstrate for Steve here, but you just tap on it. I've got my two machines. Okay. That one's offline. So I tap here and I'll be connected in a couple seconds to my home machine. Using my keyboard, I can type and edit. So, like for updating HTML you can files on your home PC. Oh, so you're on your home PC. Nice. Yep, and That's it's got this cool. really cool little on-screen mouse, so you can double-click and right-click and all that. Because I'm using a PC at home, right? I can do all of that. So it's cumbersome. You know, it's not uh-huh. it's not fluid from the standpoint of you know the screen's small, the mouse is small, I'm sure, but it works. It actually works. That's nice. Yeah. So. Uh, Anyway, that that allowed me to do like the HTML editing I needed to do. There was I found no good way to do HTML really? editing, and I didn't look hard for FTP apps or for HTML apps. I looked very briefly for HTML stuff, and it wasn't anything that was obvious. So I just logged into the other machine. So you wouldn't be doing a whole lot of web development. Then, yeah, no, <laughs> I think it was not. It would not be appropriate for that. The other the other big limitation I did run into is uh, in Gmail through Safari. It is definitely dumbed down for the iPad, which is really mm-hmm. annoying. Like, you cannot create filters, and I do a lot of email filtering, uh-huh. so creating new filters is important. You can, can do you, labels. Can you do it in the iPhone version or the same version? No, it's the same version. Okay. Right. Um, oh, there, it's actually going to play. Yeah. So there it is. I'm on my, on my machine at home. Got Pandora. I Pandora. <laughs> yeah. nice. Well, it's pause, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could start it if you wanted to. I could. Um... <laughs> But yeah, there's, so there's some big limitations to the the Gmail application through Safari. You know, uh, they just have it dumbed down, and so filters is one. You can't do any filtering, or yeah, you can't you can't create new filters, and you can't set anything into an existing filter. So there's no way to do that. So that was annoying. Uh, you can set labels, and that's okay. Uh, and there was one other limitation that's I'm not coming to mind, but so anyway, it, like I said, it's probably an eighty percent solution, you know. But what I could see, you actually made the comment, I think that um, you could envision using it like during the day, like at a conference uh-huh. and that kind of a thing, and then getting back to a laptop in the evening. Yeah, yeah. I think that would actually be a pretty good workflow. I really like the form factor. I like carrying that and just a Bluetooth keyboard. Uh-huh. And I even walk around New York City. I just had that, and you know, I could sit down and pop it up and you know, go nice. to town on it and. Pretty efficient. So, anyway, how about web browsing on it? Um, yeah, it's good. Um, about the same as an iPhone. Yeah, so it's, it's like a big iPhone, really. I mean, it really is like a big iPhone. <laughs> so, but the web browsing is similar. You know, you can have maybe nine windows open. You can have a little more than on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the web browsing cool. is pretty reasonable. Yeah, definitely better than the iPhone just because it's bigger. The other thing which uh, I, I learned as well is that the iPhone, the iOS 4, can connect to a Bluetooth keyboard. 
So um, I actually really? yeah. So I was using the Bluetooth <laughs> keyboard on my iPhone for That's for a little while just to test it out. It works really well for email. Really efficient. Really. Yeah. So I mean, if you needed a really small system, uh-huh. just a Bluetooth keyboard and uh, in your iPhone could actually yeah. get you by. I remember like 10, 12 years ago, I had a, an iPack, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and and I had like this fold up keyboard and everything, and everybody thought it was so awesome. <laughs> this is kind of similar. So it gives you this little on screen mouse, and you can that's really neat. Click on it anyway. Well, no, <coughs> excuse me. Enough about that. But that's. Uh, I was glad to have the experience. I'm glad to have the iPad, and I'm pretty excited about it. I've got already. Uh, I just learned that William Gibson's new book, Zero Something. Uh, I got the iBooks thing and downloaded William Gibson. I'm a big William Gibson fan, um, and uh, so I was reading that on the airplane on the way back. And yeah. and it, I just have to Zero History. That's what it's called. Is the the new William Gibson science fiction book. I love his writing style. It's just amazing. The way he puts words together is unlike any author I've ever really? read. I've never read any stuff. And his last one was just okay, Spook Country. Mm-hmm. The one before that, Pattern Recognition, blew me out of the water. I mean, I actually reread it a second time, really? like a page or two a night, just because of the way he puts words together. Mm-hmm. I just love And reading on the iPad is awesome because there's a built-in dictionary, so you just tap a word, and you can look it up immediately. Really? <laughs> and that, it's actually really fun. That's really cool. And you can change the font size. And you can highlight stuff, and it's so, it's so easy to do that and make bookmarks. Like reading on it is really a pleasure. Now I haven't used a Kindle myself, so I can't mm. compare it. But um, my experience so far reading the book is just great. I love it. That's really cool. So, well, I'm I'm jealous. I'm <laughs> well, thankful. You'll, you'll have one. I'll soon. have one soon. I know. Yeah, I'm thankful that you had that that experience. It's really kind of cool. Uh, me too in the long run. Everything's yeah. back to normal now. So, And I have an iPad, so that rocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to have one for testing anyway, right? Absolutely. you got to check, it, check stuff because there are some weird things. Even I noticed that I, I'll look at some websites that I, I, I'll work on. On the, my computer, they look fine. On a PC, they're fine. On my iPhone, they're fine. But for some reason, on the iPad, they're a little bit wonky, and I can't figure that out. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. I haven't... Really, done, I've not done a lot of research into it because I don't do a lot of web development anymore. Uh, I did discover that, actually. Um, so when you're asking about the web browsing, um, sites don't look quite the same in the iPad Safari as they do on Safari on the MacBook, that's for sure. There yeah. are like just funny little graphic glitches that aren't quite yeah. right. Like my like clevercube.com, my website. On the iPhone, it looks fine. For some reason, on the iPad, like the right-hand column is all gray. It's weird. Hmm. No idea what that is. Something with a PNG transparency or something. <clears throat> but anyway, enough of that. Um, my first news item for the day is uh, that it's kind of a news item. There's a, a new website has been really recently launched that I think is a lot of a lot of fun. It's pretty interesting. It's called darkpatterns.org, and um, it is. Let me get over to it. And I can talk about it a little bit better. Um, it's it's by uh, the guy who. Um, has 90, 90% of everything is his blog. Um, what's his name? Harry Brignall. I hope I'm pronouncing his name the right way. And it's uh, it's dedicated to user interfaces that have been designed to trick users into doing things they wouldn't have otherwise done. <laughs> and he, what he says is that, you know, in, in SEO, we have, we, we refer to the white hat and black hat SEO. White hat being, you know, actual good... <clears throat> um, ethical uh, procedures for SEO, whether it's more keywords or just making sure that the, the, the HTML um, code is well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and Black Hat being, you know, like link farms and stuff like that. Sure. And the problem is with when you get to UX design and, and, and things like that, you can't really... I mean, Google, or Google is kind of the um, overlord of SEO. <laughs> so if you do something wrong, you're gone. But if you do something kind of sneaky or tricky with your user experience or the way something is laid out on your website, there's really no way to track that or police that. And so he has, um, using the idea of design patterns, which are getting more and more common to talk about, he has several design patterns that are to, that are dark, evil, uh, evil side of the force patterns. One, <laughs> one of them is called the bait and switch, oh. um, which we're all familiar with that, you know, if you want to do this, then this is going to happen. And then by the by the end of it, it's something different. Um, the uh, sneak into basket 
is one he talks about. Which, I haven't heard of that one. Which um, these are all kind of his terms, and, and it, he he mentions that you know submit patterns of your own. If you come up with something different, or not just a website, but like if you see a pattern that he doesn't have listed. Oh, that's cool. Um, the sneak into basket is um, like you're going to check out and you've bought an iPad, for example. He he lines out a uh, a website that you I think it's Tiger Direct. No, yeah, Comet Comet or Tiger Direct. You, you actually you, the iPads in your in your shopping cart, but if you don't look very very close closely, you also see that they also have thrown in an iPad case. Oh wow! And you have to opt out of that and That's take it out of your rude. cart. Yeah, it's stuff like that. Huh. So and um, Travelocity does that kind of with their uh, travel insurance, and um, he so he's got a lot of examples of that kind of stuff. And so it's a good read, um, and it's really interesting as far as what not to do with any kind of UX design. So it's darkpatterns.org. Very cool. I like it. So the other, the second news item I have for today is um, the new Gmail priority inbox. And I wanted to talk about the user interface and some of the productivity benefits um, mm-hmm. of Google Inbox. And I forget, did you say you use Gmail or do you use Apple Mail? I use or? Gmail, yeah. I love the priority. Oh, awesome. Me too. I am loving it. So I really struggle under a crushing weight of email like many of us (laughs) do. And um, I'm finding it very helpful. So if you haven't tried it out yet or you've been using some other interface and you use Gmail, I would definitely recommend if you suffer from a crushing weight of email, I would give it a try. Um, Basically what it does is it uses Google's own, you know, internal algorithms to try to identify email that's important to you. Um, and it promotes that then to the top of your inbox when you look, click on the priority inbox link. And it divides your page into several sections, which you can control and actually edit in the settings how that works. But the priority mail goes to the top. Um, if you star something and have read it, at least open the, the email, then it goes mm-hmm. into the middle section, and then everything else goes below that. And that includes, by default, if you read, if you open one of the priority emails, it then falls to the lower pane after you've read it. So your top pane is is just the unread priority email. Actually, I have mine set up to just important on the top. Not important and unread. You can have either way. Oh, yeah, you can. That is the setting. So you can set that to the way. I think I need to change mine that way, actually. So that's just importance on the top. Because I'm losing some down below that I don't want to lose. There's some other really neat features in there that I think are new, unless I just never noticed them before, which could very well be the case. (laughs) But um, um, within the priority symbol, or on regular emails that aren't priority, there's there's another column now. Again, it probably was there before I never noticed, but that either has a double carrot, a single carrot, or no carrot in it. And uh, double carrot means you're the only recipient on that email. Single carrot means you were addressed in the email, but others were as well. And no carrot means you were not addressed directly, meaning like it was a group mailing to a mailing mm-hmm. list or you know something like that. Um, and that is really cool. That's interesting. I, I don't have that. I wonder if that's a setting thing. It is. You can turn that on and off in the settings. Okay, I must have turned it off. In so you don't you don't have little flags like that within the yellows? Uh, no, I don't have that at all. Little carrots? That's really cool. I'll have to yeah, I just I was looking at this more carefully and going, what are those? And so it's pretty neat because you know anything double carrot that's addressed directly to you. Um, huh. So that you know it's like okay, maybe I should pay. You know, maybe I said that backwards. Like super priority. Now I'm wondering. Yeah, that sounds correct. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that that's helpful for sorting. Uh, of course, uh, the priority piece is a new tag, so you mm-hmm. help train it by saying what does matter and what doesn't matter um, as you're reading the email. So that's helpful because theoretically over time then you can fine-tune it. You can also set how many messages to show mm-hmm. in the top pane for priority, how many in the middle for the start only, and then how many at the bottom. Uh, and I like seeing a lot because I just like to be able to scroll through stuff quickly right. rather than click a lot. Um, so I find that um, that feature pretty useful. I've got those turned up to close to the maximums. So have you? So you sounds like you've been enjoying it yourself. Yeah, and when I first came out, they were just kind of slowly rolling it out to people, mm-hmm. and I was kind of jealous I didn't have the uh, the little red link that said I could use mine yet. I had to wait a couple of days for some reason, but I'm really enjoying it because I I don't get nearly as much email as you do. I don't think, but um, I get enough to have to deal with the piles of mess, and I try as much as possible to do the whole inbox zero thing. And I've, I'm mostly successful. I've got like 
30. See, I have zero inbox MB. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to get there. Yeah, I got to the point where I just, I seriously went in and I'm like, you know what? If I haven't read it in the pet and it's like a month old, archive. Yep. And if I need it, I can search and uh, search for it and find it. Exactly. But I didn't delete it. But right. um, I don't really, I don't delete anything hardly at all, um, just because there's so much storage in Gmail. But um, and I, it was so, it just kind of a sense of peace you know, <laughs> to have no unread messages. I know. I, <laughs> I, I, I strive to get there someday. I am not there yet, and I'm pretty far from it. But uh, I. I'm definitely, you know, productivity and being efficient with email in particular is of high interest to me. So um, I'm but, always looking for new techniques. Yeah, but help. this helps a lot. It I really think it does. does. Yeah, I think it does too. So, cool. Uh, well, last thing I had for today is kind of a, a little bit of a UX design, I wouldn't say cat fight, <laughs> but yeah. it was just kind of this, um, once in a while somebody will say something uh, somewhat stupid and start a uh, little bit of a war on Twitter and in the in the interwebs. And uh, it was about last week, I believe, um, actually, no, wait, what? No, it was about 10 days ago now, now that I think of it. Um, Ryan Carson, who is the owner of Carsonified, uh, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with them, they put on a lot of great conferences in the UK for, um, and, well, UK and in, in the States, actually, now. They've done uh, future of web design, future of web apps, and some other things. And they do a lot of really great online conferences as well. Um, so I nothing wrong with Carsonified or Ryan Carson at all. But I just um, he long story short, he was at the Deconstruct conference, which um, Clear Left, which is a UX design agency in in Brighton, the UK. Clear Left is putting on Deconstruct, and they announced they are going to be hiring a senior user experience designer. Right. And shortly after that, Ryan Carson tweets out to the world that um, that a user exper- the UX professional is a bull crap to keep the clean title, a bull crap <sighs> title. Wow. And how and it's it's only um, let me look at the exact let me quote him correctly here. Um, he said. UX professional is a bullcrap job title. It's just a way to overcharge naive clients. All web designers should be UX pros. And that kind of got a lot, uh, a lot of. Did he uh, make himself a lightning rod with that he one? He definitely <laughs> did. And um, I think Andy Budd is the owner of Clear Left, and he was putting on the the Deconstruct oh, conference. Sure. And Ryan Carson is a guy who has a lot of followers on Twitter. Um, let me see how many he has. 26,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, and so, when, you know, when someone says something that's like a thinly veiled uh, attack, right. <laughs> it seemed like, um, he, Andy Bud replied on, on his website, andybud.com. It's andybudd.com. And he says, why I think Ryan Carson doesn't believe in UX professionals and why I do. Uh, and when I first read that that quote from Ryan Carson, it just kind of ticked me off. Being a UX professional myself, uh, I thought, you know, I first I immediately thought of all the things that I could say against that, and how I don't understand why he was even bringing that up. Because Ryan Carson has even put on Carsonified has put on several um, web conferences and webinars and things like that about UX design. Huh. And so I didn't understand where he was coming from, but I after reading. Uh, Andy Budd's article, I thought it was really good. He he, uh, I, th- The sentence he starts out with, I thought was genius. He says, in a fantastically timed bit of link bait, <laughs> Ryan Carson uh, called bullcrap on the title of UX professional while attending the Deconstruct conference we organized in Brighton. And I, I think that's probably a lot of what it was. Is um, he For some reason, he got his panties in a wad and he said that. <laughs> And uh, it is it's basically link bait. And it started kind of a, converse, a lively conversation back and forth in the Twitterverse and on several blogs. I have not been able to find anywhere if Ryan Carson had replied. Um, I, re- I subscribed to the blog uh, Think Vitamin uh, that, that he writes and or that, that his folks at Carsonified write. And so I haven't s- seen if he resp- replied to... Uh, Andy Budd's article or not, but basically what Andy Budd has to say is that if you stand back and look at what a UX professional is, mm-hmm. yes, every web designer should be a UX pro. Mm-hmm. 
But in reality, that's not going to happen. If you have, it started out as you're going, you know, a website used to be one guy did it all. Right. And then it progressed into you have a designer and developer. Right. And then a designer, developer, copywriter, and, you know, it gets like, bigger and bigger. Specialization. And then, and, and, and also that's not only over time, but that also has to do with the size of your website. Yeah, complexity of sites and volume of content. Absolutely. Yeah. And so as you get more complex, you're not going to have one guy handling yeah. the design, development, copywriting, and everything. Right. Yeah. And so <clears throat> UX professional, designer, whatever you want to call them, is someone who is an expert in that field and is really helpful for a, a massive site. Mm-hmm. And he kind of says, he kind of digs at Ryan Carson a little bit, basically saying, you know, Ryan Carson doesn't work on big enough sites to warrant oh. a UX. But he's not a web designer. He right. puts on conferences now. So okay. he's not digging at him too hard. Okay. <laughs> but if, you know, Brian Carson does not put on, he doesn't design websites. They don't take on that kind of client anymore. They just do conferences now. Um, but Clear Left does. That's all they do is design websites, and they have a conference here or there. So they definitely um, have... Uh, the, the use and the need for a UX right. designer, and they understand that. Well, it's interesting that this also circles back to our uh, episode number one of our podcast when uh, we interviewed Whitney Hess, and she was talking um, at the end of her interview, she was talking about uh, Jesse James Garrett at a recent conference. He's uh, mm-hmm. one of the principals at Adaptive Path right. and wrote the book um, Elements of User Experience uh, quite a few years ago, actually. It's still a, a fantastic book. And uh, she said that he stated at a recent conference that uh, he thinks almost, you know, many of us, and many people in the profession should call themselves user experience designers. Yes. Something along those lines. So interesting that it does kind of circle back to that because we, it seems like anybody in the field would certainly be better served by having more experience in that and becoming mm-hmm. more versed in user experience design on the whole. But I think it also makes sense for there to be people specialized just in that especially for larger sites. And, you know, when you focus, you can just bring a different element to it, I think, a different level of expertise and integration to yeah. the site. So, And he, he does say, he said, sadly, I do think that Ryan has accidentally hit on something here. And it's a trend I'm seeing more and more of. Web designers with an interest in user experience rebranding themselves as UX professionals. Sure. So, and he so, said, but, you know, but what's wrong with that in a certain way, right? I mean, anybody yeah. can call themselves a web designer, right? I mean, how many people have you met? I mean, there's no like certification. There's no, you know, you don't have so to. I, have I've, yeah, I've come across a lot of web designers who couldn't design their way out of a box. <laughs> right. You know? Well, there's a lot of web designers that are here today, but they're just doing it on the side because they think they can make some money when they realize that it's a business like anything else. You know, they're gone in six months or nine months and, you know. Yeah. And I did, I even heard uh, one of Jared Spool's podcasts, he said that. You know, somebody wrote uh, wrote into the podcast asking them a question, um, and they said, "How do I become a UX professional? Mm-hmm. What's the first step?" And it was either Jared or his co-host said, "Well, step one is put it on your business card." <laughs> <laughs> and there is no barrier to entry. No, yeah, just claim it and then, it until you make it. And then buy and read a couple books, and by the end of the week, you'll be up to speed with just about everybody else. And I don't know if <laughs> that might be going coming going a little far. Um, there's there's a lot to it, but it. It, there's, it's kind of, like you said, it's something that's needed on big sites, and it's something that every designer should do. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was kind of an interesting um, fight back and forth between the two of those guys. Um, I'm sure they are have... I want to see blood. <laughs> I'm sure that they've hugged and they've made up. Oh, I'm sure everything's fun. fine. But, um, anyway... So our feature for today is actually going to be an interview that Ron had with Jeffrey Zeldman back at the uh, Alyssa Park conference. You want to give us a little intro on that? Absolutely. So um, I did a few. Uh, Jeffrey Zeldman was very gracious at uh, an event apart in uh, Minneapolis mm-hmm. uh, to grant me a few minutes to interview him. And so I'm very appreciative to Jeffrey. So Jeffrey, thank you very much for, for doing that. Uh, it was very kind, being a new podcast that didn't even have a single episode out yet, <laughs> and he was willing to uh, allow me to interview him. And uh, we, I talked, um, we talked in part about the uh, a book apart um, stuff coming up, uh, or that's out already with uh, Jeremy Key's book HTML5 for designers. And we talked about conferences, and um, it goes all the way to talking about uh, atomic bombs in World War II. It's quite a wide-ranging <laughs> discussion. So uh, 
There you go. Okay. All right. Well, I'm here with uh, Jeffrey Zeldman at an event apart in Minneapolis, 2010. Hey, Ron. Hey. And first, I just want to thank you. This is my second event apart. I was in Boston last year, and I think this is just fantastically run. Your team is doing a great job, and it's coming across really well. Um, so Thanks you've very done, much. You're welcome. So you've done an event apart for quite a while now. How long has it we, been? Okay, so we, Eric Meyer and I started an event apart in December 2005. We put on a show with Jason Santa Maria, uh, and a friend did the sound, and it was in a, a library in Philadelphia. It was in the uh, Franklin Museum. And how many people came to that? Person? 150 oh, or so. But That's pretty good. But it was a tiny classroom with no Wi-Fi, and people sat at little desks. Uh, we had one projector. The projection was from, you know, we projected about 10, you know, seemed like the projector was 10 feet from this tiny screen. And uh, we did that for a little while. We actually had a, uh, Eric, Jason, and I would go around the country. I, I remember we were in uh, Atlanta, and the cab driver, we took a cab to our event, our venue. The cab driver didn't know where the entrance was, so he let us out outside of a stadium. Wow. We're ha carrying these heavy boxes, trying to find an entrance, and there's a thunderstorm coming. And I'm running, carrying this, like, 20-pound box of, of and I just thought, I'm too old for this. So, <laughs> so we found Marcy Eversall and Toby Molina. Toby's a producer, and Marcy's an event planner, and they really uh, freed us to just think about the content of, and... Uh, that's because gotta they be a run wonderful everything. thing. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Well, you do have an all-star cast of. It seems to me, all-star cast of uh, speakers. I mean, the content and the topics are very, you know, obviously uh, right on target with what's happening today. Emerging trends. Thank um, you. So, what keeps you going after doing it for five years? That's quite a while and a lot of events because you don't do just one a year now, right? You're doing three or four or five. A we're, year. Yeah, we're going to be doing six next year. Wow. Uh, we're we're doing five this year. Um, I feel well. First of all. We try to have people who are really knowledgeable about what's going on, have a strong point of view about some area that they're passionate about, and who are great speakers. So I don't get bored at all as a listener. This is, I mean, I used to go to con. I used to go. I used to speak at conferences, and I would think, and there were some that were really nicely run, and there were others that weren't. And I used to think, what would I do? And so the opportunity to uh, to plan. Uh, and this year we tried an experiment. Instead of having a different show in every city, we basically curated the same show with one or two exceptions. It's the same speakers in every city on the same topics. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what we've done is uh, curated a year. Right. And that forces you to say, well, what's happening this year? Right. And that made us very aware that what's happening is a very remarkable time to be doing web design because suddenly there's a maturity in the field. People who only cared about design are now knowledgeable about user experience. People who right. only cared about code are knowledgeable about design. There's right. a lot of crossover. There's a lot of uh, maturity in the profession. And then we've got, uh, you know, uh, the rapid expansion of mobile. Right, that's with, huge. With, with smartphones that that, uh, that run WebKit and, yep. and get CS, CSS3 and HTML5. Exactly. Right, so, so now... Uh, there's, it's an exciting time to learn HTML5, learn CSS3, mm -hmm. figure out strategies for mobile, and figure out strategies for doing design that will work in, in you know in that environment, but also work when someone's in their office using IE7. Yeah, I was very so, excited for Luke uh, for Bluesky's talk here on mobile first. That was really good. He's fantastic, and he, he really did change the way I thought about mo uh, about web design, Impressive. not mobile, because up until now. Mobile's always been sort of like the uh, the ugly sister that, that couldn't get to dance. You know, right, it was second of. second fiddle, but now... And and I remember being really resentful toward... I mean, a few years ago there was WAP1 and all this stuff, and people were learning all kinds of languages again, and I was like, this is just like the 90s all over again. It was really difficult because there were so much differences in uh, mobile devices and platforms that you're developing on. Is right. it impossible, right? Right. So, and uh, not many people were successful at that then that I saw. No, and you, I mean, there were people like Cameron Mall who were, and Brian Fling who were trying really hard and doing really smart things, but the platform was so immature, and, you know, you, you, you couldn't use graphics, you had to use graphics, you could only use graphics that were 200 pixels wide, I mean, all this, not, you have to learn these new languages, it just seemed like 
there was so much fragmentation, and I think the iPhone really changed that. Now mm -hmm. we have the Droid too. Yeah, Droid. And, and BlackBerry uh, runs. Uh, we'll run Opera, I believe. But it's yeah, but there is there is, it there is a BlackBerry that's running WebKit, and then uh, yeah. So basically, we have uh, really advanced browsers in our phones. Right. And we have phones with high resolution. Like so, a lot of things coming together at the same time. So speaking of HTML5, as part of that, you know, that resurgence here in mobile and making it more accessible for us as developers and designers, um, that leads us to a book apart. So hot off the presses is Jeremy Keith's new book of uh, right. HTML5 for designers. So tell us a little bit about what's the inspiration behind the a book apart project. Right. Thanks. So so Erin uh, Kassane, who. Uh, but Krista Stevens is the editor of A List Apart, but Aaron Cassine was the editor of A List Apart, and Aaron and Jason Santa Maria and I, for a really long time, wanted to, wanted to do book publishing. Uh, we all, we're all book nerds. We all love books. Uh, I'm, I'm down authors with... Authors as well. Yeah, yeah. and authors. No, and I'm down with iPad, and I love it, but there are some books you just want to have books. Absolutely. So uh, the time wasn't right, and we were all busy with so many, and we were starting up at a better part. There was too much going on, but in the last... Uh, about a year ago, uh, got a, diff a slightly different constellation of people. Mandy Brown, who's an editor who had been at Norton, uh, W.W. Norton, this big uh, American publishing company, and she's a cre creative director, uh, and, and Jason and I. And, and uh, I, I mean, it was pretty obvious what we should write about. Uh, I had just had a... Um, we were so alternately excited and troubled by... HTML5 ourselves that I actually I called a, I called some friends to meet at Happy Cog Studios in New York and so Jeremy flew in from England from Brighton and uh, Eric Meyer flew in we uh, Tontic Chalik flew in flew in from San Francisco we got uh, uh, Nicole Sullivan from San Francisco we got a whole bunch of really smart people in the same room uh, Ethan Marcotte from Boston we were trying to figure out what what do we like about this spec what how do we under, how should people like us front-end designer developers, people who care about web standards, people who care about user experience. How should we relate to this 900-page spec? What do designers need to know? Is it, it Can we throw our weight behind this, or should we be telling people, keep using XHTML forever? What, what, mm -hmm. what do we think? We took a few days just going over the spec, and, and uh, we came out and, uh, you know, really having some concerns and some accessibility concerns about Canvas and all that, but basically right. pretty positive. And the other thing that I noticed was with all those brilliant people in the room, right? And I, I just felt like a dummy. I mean, and, and other people, really smart people, just sort of that sat says there. says a lot about the people in the room. Really then. smart people. <laughs> and then uh, we noticed that Jeremy Keith seemed to have the, the, to know the most and hmm. have this, the clearest vision of what was happening. He was, seemed to be able, easiest, to cut through the politics of it and just talk about why certain decisions were being made and what some of the concerns were. So when we, uh, when we decided to... to do an HTML5 book. I, I, um, I, I called Jeremy, and I said, "How do you like to write an HTML5 book with me?" And he said, "I'd love to." And he said, "You know, you don't have to help me." <laughs> oh wow! And I said, offer. "Okay, <laughs> I said, okay, I'll, I'll write the forward. That's a page." I can do that. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, our next book is a CSS3 book. Uh, CSS3 experience with Dan Cederholm. Oh, wonderful. And after that, we're who going... Who was also a speaker here yeah, yesterday. Sure. And, and I mean, who? there are maybe two or three people that you might think of for the job, and, and Dan's sure. way up there, and he's just brilliant. And he's, he's got... Dan's a really good designer, too, and he's, you know, he, he straddles both both those worlds. And that he's helps a wonderful tremendously, writer. yeah, to have that. And from there, we're going to best practices, right? Oh, wonderful. So, HTML5, wow. CSS3, and then we're going to start... We're going to do a book on... Uh, um, well, we're going to do a responsive web design. We're going to do with uh, Ethan Marcotte. We're going to do um, uh, Aaron Gustafson's going to write about. Um, oh dear me! Uh, uh, wow, I'm <laughs> I don't know this topic. Yeah. The topic is uh, designing an experience that works in any browser or environment, and then and then pro progressive enhancement. Oh, got sorry, it, yeah. I don't know why. Tired, blanked out. Yeah, so we got a book on progressive enhancement, and there's more coming. I mean, that's content strategy stuff. So, so what's the vision for you know, where that's going? You picked a pretty specific set of topics there for the next four or five books. You know, what's the who are you trying okay. to market to? Okay, so uh, well, for the core, it's like the same people that are here at Anabeta Part. It's, it's uh, web designers uh, who or web user experience designers, web people who really care about best practices, who really. Uh, 
want to do something brilliant, whether they work for themselves or in-house or for whichever client comes in the door. Uh, we, you know, passionate practitioners, uh, craftspeople, really, uh, um, and content people, and we uh, we want to write. We want to make books that are an airplane read: sixty pages, eighty pages, a hundred pages. Um, we have this beautiful format that Jason designed, mm-hmm. and we're going to have a very strong color scheme so that, you know, as you look at it, it'll be almost like looking at a Pantone set awesome. as the books come out. So you can have a little section of your shelf, like kind of like with Penguin, right, or, or like, uh, what's that great jazz label in the 60s? Uh, where they always had all the same orange label and, and uh, Clarendon and uh, Hel- Helvetica or Clarendon and Franklin. Anyway, it's going to be like that. It's going to be Neat. curated corner of your shelf uh, and, cool. I, and, and very brief books that you can keep on your desk that you could throw in your laptop bag or your backpack or even a pocket if you had to uh, that just I mean that tackle comp- that are sort of the last word on complicated subjects I mean when I look at designing with web standards in a way it's, it's a, a big, big overview right. it's a big overview and we can't get into total depth about it it's more like Here's, here's what progressive enhancement is about. And it's a few pages on that. Right. And uh, this is the best, but, but so now imagine a book. Just on really, each topic. That really nails down. And what do we mean by that? And what do we do about phones? And what do we do? When we're talking about progressive enhancement. What do we do? How does that match with accessibility? And is there ever really, I mean, there's lots of philosophical stuff to discuss. They're not really, I mean, some of the design books will obviously be code books. There will be code in them, but nothing's really, even a CSS3 book, I mean, there are code examples, but they're basically um, strategic, philosophical. They're about tackling a subject. They're, I also think of them as like a great presentation at an event apart. They're about the same length. Right. You read the book, and it's about the same kind of learning experience you might have with a 60-minute wonderful talk. That makes sense, and I have actually have Jeremy Keith's book with me, so I can get him to uh, sign up. But I love the format and uh, how you know the length too, because you can get through it quickly and very informative. So that's great stuff. That's cool, and I, we we in picking Jeremy, I think we set the bar very high. We yeah, know definitely. That, that man, he, he could, think, <laughs> he's awesome. He's awesome. He's he's has so much knowledge in so many different areas. He does. Just he watching this presentation today, I mean, his style is wonderful, and he's a great storyteller. He's a storyteller, right? And so. Here, this is the most. This is a, a rebellion by HTML people against the W3C, <laughs> right? And, right, and and his history of HTML, you know, how he got here is is excellent. The, in the beginning I, of the it's book. one of my favorite parts of the book, and and uh, you know, I mean, anyone who can, uh, he's got that wonderful reference to uh, Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate, and you know, <laughs> he does, it was yeah. in one word, just one word, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's like. <laughs> It's hilarious. So, you know, that cats that look like Hitler in his opening paragraph. (laughs) He said, am I writing, he said to us, am I writing this too informally? We said, no, this is exactly what we wanted. Perfect. It should sound like we're sitting with you in the room. And not every writer can be conversational and be great, but Jeremy can. And and, and the people that I've mentioned can. The people who are writing for us, it's like you're having fun with them, sitting there with them, and they just get to spiel a little bit about what they do. So, That's wonderful. Well, I'm yeah. very excited for the future books coming down the pike with that. So I have two very short questions for you sure. that are uh, I'm asking, trying to ask all the people that I uh, have a chance to interview. So one is the word website. Is it one word or two words? How do you use it? I use it as one word with a lowercase w. I think I took that from Glenn Davis, who started Cool Site of the Day in 1994, and I decided that Glenn is right, and therefore I am right. And uh, I know the New York Times, it's like a capital W, like... You see it so many different you know, ways, there's very little consistency. I finally have spell, I have, I finally got spell checking to work on my Mac. <laughs> I migrated for the sim so much that, like, the new features weren't actually working. I finally got in, built-in spell checking, and it's a disaster. It corrects my internet to have a capital I, it corrects my website to be two words. I don't want it that way. Right. That's not how I write it. Right. Call me James Joyce. I just, <laughs> this is how I, I've been doing this so okay, long. Okay, James Joyce. <laughs> I've been doing it so long, I think I'm right. I mean, I could have been wrong for 15 years, but I think I'm right. Well, it's an evolving thing, too, right? It it's not a static thing, so uh, it makes sense what you're saying. It always bothered me, the capitalization. Uh, it yeah, that doesn't like, make sense to me. It seemed like, it might it's like saying radio. Like right. you don't say, I, I listen to the radio. You don't say, I listen to the radio. radio. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to do that, right? Not at all. I read it in the capital N newspaper. <laughs> I think of it as a medium. Right. If you think of it as a net, as a specific network with a name, 
then I guess... Yeah, it's just a noun now. It's not... Yeah, it's a noun. Not a proper noun in any way. It's just a, yeah. it's an, it's an adjective. It's not Xerox, yeah. It's, it's really an adjective. It's a way of saying... Uh, yeah, right? So... Exactly. And I don't know. So the last wacky question for you is, since our podcast is named Einstein and Sock Monkey, yes. the question is, who has influenced you more, Einstein or Sock Monkeys, and... Well, Help. lately, sock monkeys, because I have a five-year-old. And he's got <laughs> lots awesome. of sock monkeys. And Kevin Cornell, who illustrates a list of art magazine, his wife uh, designs beautiful sock monkeys. So wow. they sent us a few. I think you can get them on Etsy. Very uh, good. Um, we will look for those. Uh, our producer, Aaron Lynch, uh, and his wife create uh, sock monkeys that they sell on Etsy as well. So... There's a whole sock monkey culture connected to all this. So now I would have to say that. Uh, and, <laughs> That's awesome. And they're cuddly. <laughs> they are cuddly. I mean, uh, you know, relativity. I, I think if not for Einstein, we'd have no atomic bomb. The, it's certainly a mixed blessing, if you're going to call it a blessing. It's a horrible thing. On the other hand, my dad was 17 in the Navy in World War II, and he was supposed to storm Iwo Jima. And uh, the bomb went off and... and uh, before he saw combat. Wow. So, so I'm not saying it's a good thing. I might that. not be here, that's all. Right. My wow. dad would probably have died, wouldn't have met my mother, etc. So uh, Wow, interesting. I probably owe my life to that, yeah. How interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jeffrey. Pleasure, I Ron. really appreciate it. Great conference, Thanks. and I hope there's uh, many years of event apart to come and many editions of a book apart. Thanks very much, and I'll be, I'll be listening for your podcast. Thank you so much. Good luck with that. Thank you. So I just I just loved the interview. That was very fun to uh, to talk with Jeffrey. And uh, a couple things listening to it here again that caught my ear. At one point he said web people instead of web users. I thought that was very interesting. I didn't catch that. Yeah, it was just in passing. It wasn't like a deliberate, you know. But it makes me wonder if he's consciously, you know, trying to use that word occasionally, web people. Or if it just slipped out, I don't know. But it <laughs> harkens back to uh, the talk I heard from Don Norman at UX Week two years ago, three years ago, 2008, um, where he was saying calling people users is just not a great word because it's pretty depersonalized. And yeah. and users have seen like this, you know, overtones of drug use and stuff like <laughs> that. So we should be calling, you know, he says, so who uses websites? And Don Norman says, people. Uh, so I just huh. thought that was very okay. interesting that he mentioned web people in passing. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, I thought it was, it was neat to hear their plans for the book apart as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. The different things they're going to be doing. and I'm really excited for that. And I think it's cool that they're even designing the series of colors, you know, the Pantone yeah. colors. For yeah, it. I think, I mean, it's cool that they're designing not just each book, but, you know, the whole thing yes. as a whole is going to be really neat, I think. And I'm... Super excited for the topics coming out because uh, you know, having read the HTML5 for designer web designers, it's you know short to the point, very focused mm-hmm. content. And if they really cover all the topics Jeffrey was bringing up there, that's going to be uh, really fun. Definitely. And we are actually going to be uh, reviewing next week. We're going to be um, talking about the HTML5 for web designers. That is correct. So if you want to participate in our book club, that is the first book that we have selected. And the goal is for you to pick up the book. It's now out in ebook form as well as paper form. And we'll have a link in the show notes of where you can can get that. Um, And we encourage you to read it and post questions and comments. You know, primarily comment. Primarily comments as you're reading it on our blog at uh, EinsteinAndSockMonkey.com. And then uh, Steve and I will discuss that along with... uh, um, hopefully one viewer, reader, uh, mm-hmm. listener, that's what we have, listeners, uh, one listener <laughs> to join us by Skype, and I still need to contact Jeremy Keith and see if there's any chance he might be able to participate, but it's only, cool. it's only two weeks away, I'll keep my fingers crossed, maybe maybe it'll work out. And they do have, um, a book apart is now, they, they're starting to publish them in EPUB as well, so if you don't want to... Uh, spend $18 for the actual book, even though it does have some nice charts and graphs and stuff in it. Um, you can get, for $9, you can get the uh, ebook version. Oh, great. So, so half the price. So, and cool. and it's immediate download. So, hey, there yeah, you go. Yeah, you can pick it up immediately. So, that yeah, the, we'll, the, the links will be in the show notes as well as on the website. We have a link to uh, get that book. 
Right. So just and uh, so for next episode, if you're interested in this book, uh, we will be discussing it during the next episode. And if you want to be the one on the show that participates in our discussion, we would love to have you post some comments on the blog, and uh, you might get picked. Cool. Well, um, next up we have uh, our social media minute by Nick Armstrong. Thanks, crazy-haired dudes. My name's Nick Armstrong, and this is the Social Media Minute. You know, one of the interesting questions that I get asked a lot is, Nick, how do you get your head so shiny? One of the interesting social media questions that I get asked a lot is, Nick, if I use Twitter and Facebook to promote my business, won't I actually be diluting my brand? The answer is yes and no. See, the really cool thing about Twitter and Facebook is, they have kick-ass SEO. Now, when you wanted to, back in the day, tweet something horrible about your boss, you could in relative obscurity. But that was only because Google indexed tweets every six or so days. Now, if you tweet something bad about your boss, you can bet in about six seconds he has a Google alert and a link to your tweet. And if he's got the pink slips handy, you'll be hitting monster.com in no time. But to get back to your question... Most people are willing to dilute their brand just a little bit to get that SEO benefit. However, there are things you can do to minimize the dilution of your brand. The first is to hire a really competent web designer to make sure that all of your brand assets look the same across multiple platforms. That is, your website, Twitter, and Facebook all look and feel pretty much the same. The second is to use subdomains to your benefit. Go into your cPanel and create subdomains like Twitter or Tweet and Facebook or FB. Whenever somebody wants a link to your Facebook page or Twitter account, all you have to do is send them to tweet.yourdomain.com. That'll help a little bit with the feeling of a diluted brand. I'm Nick Armstrong, and this has been your Social Media Minute. And unfortunately for Sock Monkey, the secret to my shiny head is going with me to my grave. Back to you. So our next section is the conference calendar. So a reminder, coming up very quickly here, is the end of the South by Southwest 2011 Early Bird Registration. Their uh, Early Bird Registration price ends on September 24th. So this podcast should be out on September 20th, so that's uh, this Friday. And it's a great price for the interactive part of the conference only, which I believe is five days. It's $450 on the Early Bird Special which is a really great price. Uh, we were discussing this right before we started recording of um, how so many other pod, uh, podcasts, um, conferences are so expensive. But yeah. this one is not. No, definitely not. And the that the interactive portion is March 11th through the 15th. and um, That's, of course, in Austin, Texas. Right. And I am hoping to go for the first time ever. I've been wanting to go for yeah, years and have gone, and I'm hoping we can pull it up. So that's cool. the goal. And uh, once again, links in the show notes, but uh, that's sxsw.com is the, all the info for South by Southwest. Um, I also wanted to bring up that the Interaction 11 is going to be in Boulder this coming year in February 9th through the 12th. And um, this put on by the IXDA, the Interaction Design Association. And um, it's a pretty big conference, pretty big deal in the uh, UX and interaction design world. And... Um, the prices are up at ixda.org slash i11 or i11. It's $650 before November 1st. And I couldn't find anywhere on the site uh, listing pricing after that. Um, Interesting oversight or yeah, intentional. Or mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, in their credit, I didn't look terribly hard. But um, I also thought it was neat. They have a $250 student volunteer price. And so if you're a student and you Give them about eight hours of volunteering, either at the at the check-in table or directing traffic or whatever they want need you to do. If you do that for eight hours, you get in for two hundred and fifty bucks, which is a really sweet deal. So awesome! Um, and there also, I came I came across today. I wanted to uh, point this out. If on Smashing Magazine, they have a massive list of web design conference web design and development conferences in 2010 yeah i was just looking through that while you're talking this is amazing how many yeah and that's just 2010 and we, we both mentioned things coming in 2011 um they they list you know events apart which we've spoken of before um things that i've never even heard of like yeah. um the mobile 2.0 conference all about mobile application and services and things um the European Information Architecture Summit. Yeah. There's some Paris. really neat specialized conferences. Uh, yeah. Expression Engine and Code Igniter Conference. Yes. That's, that's in the Netherlands, so it's a little bit out of my reach for September 29th, two weeks away. But we uh, specialize in Expression Engine, so I would love to go to that one sometime. Yeah. And uh, Idea 2010 is something I would love to go to. It's uh, the end of this month. Um, it's a, a great 
in, uh, conference by the IA Institute. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll have the link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, send us any, if you guys know of anything that you think that we need to be uh, mentioning, uh, special deals and conferences, stuff like that, uh, send us an email. I think the email address is events at EinsteinAndSockMonkey.com. And, just and, let and that's know. a good point. You know, if, if you out there have uh, access to either discounts to conferences or that kind of a thing, I'm sure yeah. our listeners would love to know about that because many of these conferences do have discounts like UX Week from Adaptive Path. Um, just by reading their blog, they do offer some discounts, uh, discount codes in their blog. Uh, you know, so it's all on the up and up. But we would be very interested in helping everybody out with that. Yeah, especially expensive ones like, like UX Week. It's like $2,500 without a, co- a code, but... You mentioned you could get it. Yeah, if you low. do the early bird special and have a discount code, you can get it down like to around sixteen hundred dollars yeah. or so. Just you know, it's a third off. That's a substantial still a lot, but it's a, it helps. <laughs> it does. It helps. It definitely, definitely. helps. <laughs> so my blog of the week is corksmode.org, and I've been aware of this blog for a while, and it is very helpful if you are a web developer. Um, it covers uh, specifically um, compatibility of browsers relative to uh, CSS and JavaScript capabilities, as well as their adherence to W3C standards. And um, it has some great tables in there, browser by browser, feature by feature, of what features are supported in what browser. And I know that's a question that comes across my mind all the time is, you know, can I do this, and will is it worth doing mm-hmm. it in CSS3? Because you know, do enough browsers support it that it's worth it? Um, anyway, you can get all those questions answered um, very well at quirksmode.org, and and they they have a blog associated with that, with the table that they update regularly, um, and the current uh, last number of blog posts are all related to a topic close to my interest, um, which are media queries and mobile web. Um, so this is the whole major topic of responsive web design, which I'm uh, um, definitely involved with and, and, and interested to learn as much as I possibly can. Um, and anyway, their last several posts have been all around media queries, uh, combining meta viewport media queries, rethinking the mobile web, uh, testing BlackBerry WebKit, mobile market overview. And they don't always focus just on mobile, but there's just a trend right now for that. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested or are developing for uh, mobile, uh, this is a great place to look for some recent excellent uh, topical blog posts. That's cool. I've, I've read a lot of quirksmode.org stuff, not actually going there on purpose. I actually Google for something else, and they come up, and they do have a lot of good content for sure. Awesome. Um, my blog that I wanted to point everybody to is whatmakesthemclick.net, and um, it's written by Susan uh, Weinshank, and she's uh, a doctor of uh, psychology, I do believe, and um, tw- follow her on Twitter at The Brain Lady. And um, she, the, the whole blog is all about um, psychology and how it relates not just to web design. She did write a book called Neuro Web Design, What Makes Them Click. And uh, I have not had a chance to read that whole thing, read pieces of it. But um, the, the whole blog is centered around psychology how why people do what they do on the web mm. and and it not like I said not just web design but in, in any kind of any part of life and she has a series going called a hundred things you should know about people and um, the most recent one is number 42 we'll spend more money if you don't mention money mm-hmm. and that's uh, a good one to know the one before that is your most vivid memories are wrong and uh, <laughs> so I in part of UX design and part of as we mentioned earlier, all web design <laughs> should be um, knowing how people think and what why they do what they do. And so I read a lot of books along those lines anyway. And so I really I really like her uh, blog. It has a lot of great information. I'm she, have to check that out. That sounds she, great. Yeah, she really distills a lot of really complex psychological research down into a way to make it understandable for awesome. kind of average Joes. I am so interested in the psychology of everything. I, I just find it fascinating. I find human nature very fascinating yeah. because yeah. Uh, you look into it just a little bit and you start to see some really interesting patterns and these can all be, you know, if you're designing something for use by people, it really helps to understand how people work because it's not what often comes first to our minds. So I'm excited to check out that book and that blog. That's awesome. Yeah, and she's she's spoken at a lot of uh, UX design, web design conferences in the past. So, 
Very cool. I'm sure some people come across her before. Love it. Love it. So in closing, uh, we want to thank you for listening. We want to thank the people who help us put this together. Uh, Josh Mulligan transcribes or creates the show notes from uh, the, pro- the broadcast. And we're thankful to him and Nick Armstrong with our social media minute. Yeah, huge big thanks to both of those guys. And don't forget to visit our website, EinsteinAndSockMonkey.com. And um, you can find me at CleverCubed.com is my website and blog there. And on Twitter, at CleverCubed. And Ron? You can find me on Twitter at Ron underscore Z and on the web at CodeGeek.net. Okay. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. Keep on designing. How does that go? Keep <laughs> I don't on know. I didn't do it last Keep on time. creating. Keep on learning. Well, keep doing good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Einstein and Sock Monkey is sponsored by CodeGeek.net, a full-service web design and development agency, and CleverCubed.com, providing user experience design, usability testing, and information architecture. And presented by Ron Zazadinsky and Steve Martin. Music provided by the band Black Lab. Find them at blacklabworld.com. Yeah.